pullover. Lean in. It's time for the Soft Shoulder Podcast. I am your host, Danette Relic of Radical Creative Sanctuary, inviting spaciousness for your mind and your heart. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. The Soft Shoulder is your time. Your time to slow down and fuel up on self-love support so you can make the most of your gorgeous life. Join me here. Everyone needs a soft shoulder. Hello, hello, sweet listener. Welcome back to the soft shoulder. There's this bakery in my neighborhood It's been there for a very long time. It is an old school bakery. This is the kind of bakery that has like slab cakes. There's a lot of photographs up on the wall that have been there for, God, I don't know, 40 years, maybe. Um, You know, they do christenings, they do family parties. It's It's an institution. I don't know how long they've been there. And next door... A bunch of years ago, a brand new bakery opened next door, right next door to it. Except this bakery was doing something entirely different. This bakery was a gluten-free vegan bakery, um, which was thrilling for for all the people who required gluten-free food, who preferred gluten-free food for vegans. Very exciting. Now, really different kinds of baked goods were happening at these establishments. It's also different price points at these establishments. But I guess, so the first bakery is called Sweet Trolley. That's the old school bakery, the, um, yeah, the original bakery on the street. And Bunners was the new bakery that came in, the vegan one. So Sweet Trolley, (laughs) this was so funny. So Sweet Trolley starts putting up these signs They're on Bristol board with like a marker and it's like, they're really going for it, you know, like got real fired up. I'm pretty sure these signs weren't there before. And the signs were just like best cinnamon buns in town, number one cinnamon bun in Toronto, absolute best plate. Like there was arrows pointing to their bakery. It was like, they really wanted to make sure that people knew how proud they were of their cinnamon buns and that this was the place to be in case you were walking down the street and you saw this other bakery and got confused. They wanted you to know. And it, it started off with just one sign and I was like, Oh, you know, I noticed it, but then I started to really notice it because (laughs) they were I have to really give them credit. They were really going for it. There was like neon Bristol board. Then it was like outside kind of encroaching on Bunner's territory. I must say it was a little, I don't know where technically the line in the brick wall goes, but it was right near Bunner's door, but with an arrow pointing away from Bunner's door being like, here's where the number one cinnamon buns are. And then even in the apartment or the second level of the building, this is like a storefront The windows upstairs eventually then got covered in Bristol board (laughs) talking about how great their cinnamon buns and how this is the bakery to come to. Anyway, the whole time Bunners had been just, just doing its thing, just kind of ignoring the situation, selling their stuff, putting out, they had a little chalkboard sandwich board thing that they put outside, just saying what they're doing. And then one day I walked by and this, (laughs) the sandwich board... (laughs) 
the sandwich board outside of Bunners said, our cinnamon buns are okay. I just laughed so freaking hard on the sidewalk. And I'm just like, this is really classy. (laughs) But the funniest thing was, if you could eat gluten, or if that was something that was okay, if you're like, you weren't afraid of white flour and like you didn't have any dietary required, you didn't have celiac disease, basically, and you could just go and do this. Why wouldn't you go and get the other cinnamon buns? Like they were cheaper. They were softer. They were a completely different cinnamon bun. Bunners does a great job um, with the ingredients they're working with. And it's just very different clients, you know? And I just thought it was so interesting how this like cinnamon bun duel started going on, particularly how like Sweet Trolley was going for it. And Bunners was just barely, barely bothering (laughs) to even address it. Because I think that Bunners knew they actually weren't in competition at all. And Sweet Trolley, I guess, maybe didn't see it that way. Um, I have not spoken to either bakery. This is just me observing from the street. Um, But today, I'm going to, this is a relevant story. (laughs) I'm not just hungry and thinking about cinnamon buns. Um, This is a story about competitive mind, creative mind to compete or to create. So if you're been th- if you've been thinking about jealousy or having a little bit of FOMO when you see how well other people are doing or when you see them having success, maybe developing an idea that you have not been taking action on, uh, this episode is for you, which I think is all of us, right? It's really, I think it's natural to kind of be like looking around and comparing ourselves to others. Certainly this is like fostered. Um, And that's why it's really important to, it's not about like changing our nature, it's actually returning to nature, remembering who we are and that we don't need to freak out and put Bristol board signs all over the place, insisting that we have something of value. You have something of value. By the way, I have purchased things at Sweet Charlie. (laughs) It's nothing against Sweet Charlie at all. They have a really good... um, God, what is that thing called? The phyllo pastry with the cheese in it. And it comes in like a spiral. You know what I'm talking about? I ordered like a big one for a family party. It was fantastic. And they're so friendly and they're so great. So this is purely a commentary on this one cinnamon bun duel and the signage involved. Um, but like I said, this is about remembering your nature. Come back. Come back. Put the Bristol board down. And think about how nature creates. I mean, incredible, okay? Nature creates on epic levels. Building things, bringing things to life every season, a new series, a new body of work. Particularly, you know, where I live, there are four distinct seasons. So, you know, nature is creating, it's like exhibition after exhibition portraits of wildlife, still life, of rocky soil exposed, installations of white snow, performances of like a glaze of ice coming down and covering everything, the prairies, the wildflowers, the dry grass, all the textures, the storms and sun, these dances, these rainbows, leaves that change color and then fall gracefully to the ground. I mean, Really, nature as an artist is the ultimate role model. Because, and I'm going to 
I'm going to use the pronoun her. I'm thinking like mother nature. So I'm just going to use that. But really, I mean, nature is all genders, all spectrums, all everything. And like, let's just look at her work. Okay. Stunning. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Even when understated, her work deals with like big, intense themes of destruction and death. And her work is also whimsical and playful and silly and sexy. I mean, flowers and insects, just that world alone, like, which is just enormous. And also like, did you know that there are some butterflies and their wings, the bottom of their wings smell like uncooked brownie batter? Like, what is that? That is amazing. I got that tidbit from the podcast Ologies, which I highly recommend if you just want to learn about something. (laughs) Just a different ology every episode. Great host. Fabulous. But the one on butterflies, I learned so many amazing things, including uh, the brownie batter wings, which really stuck into my mind. (laughs) And so nature, when she's creating, she can be loose with her strokes, like when you picture like a rugged field. But then she can also get really technical, really intricate with her patterns, with geometry. If you zoom up and like you do an extreme close up on snowflakes, water particles, like, wow, incredible. Nature makes work that delights babies and also makes work that just scares the shit out of all of us. She is masterful in so many mediums, but it's more than that. I see nature as like an artist role model because there's so much confidence in her power, in her powers of creation. It's like she has no problem just wiping the slate clean when an exhibition is over. You know, like if you picture the land as like her gallery space, it's like she spends all this time like putting together this incredible thing. And then she just... She just uninstalls the exhibit, patches up the holes, repaints, clears for the next thing. You know, I imagine nature at the end of a season being like, okay, I'm going to just try a whole new palette now. Let's just wipe all this out. (laughs) Let's just dump snow all over the whole thing. So she's so confident that she doesn't hang on to what she created last season, right? She doesn't hang on to that as her identity. She doesn't get like praise for all the beautiful colored leaves that she did and go like, oh yeah, I'm the one who makes the leaves change color. I mean, that would be a really limiting bio for her as an artist, even though it would be very impressive, right? Like, yes, she can do that. She did it. She'll do it again. But every time she comes to it new. She allows herself the experience of creation because part of the experience is not just the outcome, but it's making space for what is becoming. And I love that nature doesn't only create things that get her praise. (laughs) Like, could you imagine she's working with like a really small minded gallery and they say to her like, hey, nature, I love all this stuff you're doing with decay and drought, but you know, People really dig those colored leaves. Can you just do more leaves? Like the leaves really sell. Everyone likes leaves. And nature just like rolls her eyes and feels so misunderstood. (laughs) Like, ugh, I know everyone likes the leaves, but it's like so much bigger than that. Well, we're lucky because nature doesn't listen to us and she has full creative control. And she knows that the unpopular and perhaps unpleasant pieces they need to be there. 
They are all connected. All of her bodies of work are connected. They co-create, they mingle, infuse the other elements. It is a delicate, impressive balance. And when we give her garbage, we humans give her garbage, garbage she does not deserve, she even works with that miraculously to the best of her ability. There is no stopping her because nature is focused entirely on creation. Letting go of her past continuously, welcoming in what is here now. Nature is always arriving, always becoming. How can we be more like this? How can you be more like this? Well, if we imagine nature as an artist, uh, I want to look at her mindset. What is her approach? How is she approaching her work? To me, you know, you, I definitely has a creative mindset. I would say she has an abundance mindset. And even when it seems like all is lost, she gathers what she can find. And she like, she seeks ways to, you know, to bring things to life. These projects sometimes take lifetimes, but she's willing. She's relentlessly life-giving. You may have heard these terms about mindset, scarcity or abundance, fixed or growth mindset. So if mindset as a term is like new to you, this is basically a collection of beliefs. A mindset is a collection of beliefs, thoughts, and attitudes that determine how we approach our lives. So it's more complicated than the arrangement of like the old, is the glass half full or the glass half empty? That's a good place to start. But it's more nuanced than that. There are more facets. It does start though with perspective. So, um, you know, as a kid, I remember um, being bored, opening up the fridge, which would be full of food and saying, there's nothing to eat. (laughs) How annoying was I and every other child who has done this? Really, you know, what was I looking for? Well, not carrots, not milk. I don't know. Um, You know, and a lot of people can still do that. They'll look in, they'll say it's, you know, I don't know. There's nothing really here. Let's go eat out. I had this friend in college who um, was like a master and took pride in her ability to take like an empty cupboard and produce a meal. It was like really remarkable. But what was so wonderful about it was not just that it, um, it was her whole approach and relationship to this. So I remember the first time I experienced this with her, I was over at her place. She lived with some roommates. The fridge really was quite bare, at least whatever was hers. Um, there wasn't much of that and there wasn't much of anything even to borrow. I think there was part of like an eggplant. <laughs> Like there was no whole piece of anything. There was one piece of toast, one piece of bread, a couple of olives. I think there was like half or a quarter of an eggplant, um, something like that. And it really looked like there was nothing for us to eat. But then she just decides to like take what's there and she like, you know, I don't know, she put the eggplant in a frying pan. She toasted the toast. She sliced the olives, which were there might have been just one a piece. <laughs> she sliced them into these perfect little delicate rings and she plated this. So we each got like, you know, like a 
corner of toast with this like grilled vegetable, this grilled eggplant on and this like olive that was like, you know, circling the outside of the plate. It looked so elegant. It looked so intentional and it was plenty. It was nourishing. It was great. And, you know, it got us to the next meal. But it was like, you know, one person can look in the cupboard and think, oh, there's nothing here. One person can look in the cupboard where there really is a lot less and think, oh, what can I create? I love perspective. It's one of my favorite self-help tools. I think it's one of the most powerful ones because it can start to shift you from a place where you don't see anything as possible. If you don't see anything, you're not going to take action. Perspective is step one of seeing things a little differently because when you see things differently, you have new insight. You see new possibility. Your mind can start to open a little bit to the other aspects of mindset. You know, this would be like, um, you know, the insight that you get from shifting how you're seeing, um, it can be very clarifying and motivating. Like all of a sudden you're like, oh, like there's a mountain. I could climb the mountain, you know, but perspective alone has you just looking at the mountain all day. You have to take action in order to get to the top of that mountain. So a mindset is like the multifaceted jewel of perspectives that you use to determine your choices and actions. You know, it goes beyond looking at the mountain and, you know, doing something or not doing something. Mindsets are not only, they're not the only factor, but when you have access to choice, most certainly your mindset matters. So let's talk again about these bakeries <laughs> and this idea of a creative mindset and a competitive mindset. A competitive mindset is believing that if somebody else has success, that there's less success for you. A competitive mindset is seeing the world as a place where there's only room for one or only room for a small group of people and that you have to fight to get there. Or in some of, some of our cases, we won't be fighting to get there. In some cases, we will decide not to bother because we believe that there's only limited space available. A competitive mindset is like if someone else is doing something that we are suddenly less than because we haven't done the same thing that they have done, even though like five minutes ago before we found out they even did that thing, we were fine. Competitive mindset involves other people in a way where we're pitted against one another and where... Um, possibilities are limited. C creative mindset is the opposite of that. It's the belief that we can all make it, that there's room for everyone, that it doesn't matter what someone else is doing, that there's room for more. Like Bunner's Bakery was like, that was, you know, <laughs> purely based on the signage situation alone. That was creative mindset. It's like, oh, hey, let's go right next to this other bakery. Um, what they were creating was like, this could be a bakery district. This is a one-stop shop for everyone. It's win-win. People can come here and if they want sweet trolley, they have that. And if they have a, you know, friend who's vegan or gluten-free, then they can all come together and enjoy treats at the same time. It makes perfect sense. 
And Sweet Trolley was looking at it as comp- competition. It's like we like, were like literally we are the best cinnamon bun and like with arrows pointing away from them. They were like, if anyone goes through the bunner's door, we're losing people. But you see how like that's just a different way of looking at it. Nature is abundant. There is room for creation. Creative mindset is asking like, oh, someone's doing this already. What will be different about what I do? What can I give, make, contribute? How can we collaborate? How is this actually better that both of us are doing this thing? You know, I've been working on this uh, breakup book for a number of years. It is, uh, it's not completely on, <laughs> I don't know where it is. It's, 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 um, it's in hibernation at the moment. The drafts have all been completed for the most part. After I hit my head, I stopped working on it. And now um, my heart is moving forward with other projects. But anyways, um, at the time, I was just about to launch. I was like really in the thick of it, really in the final drafts, like very excited. And I was with a friend and we ran into someone else. We were just meeting this stranger who had just written a book and had already released it or it was about to come out. And it was a book about breakups. And my friend looked at me with this look of like horror and like nervousness. And, you know, we, you know, we chatted with the woman and then she left And then afterwards, my friend turned to me and was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) why wouldn't I be okay? And she thought that I would be worried. Like, it's like, someone else has written this book. I don't even have to read that woman's book to know that it's not the same book. There's no way we are writing the same book. We are completely different people. We're coming from different experiences. I have no idea what she wrote, but it's not going to stop me from writing what I can write, you know? I mean, goodness knows, I've read a whole lot of breakup books in my time. And when I was going to the library or the bookstore looking for some help, I wanted a lot of choice. So it's great that there are more options for people to read books about how to get through a breakup because some will resonate with some people and some will resonate with others. And some people just want to read a whole bunch, right? Um, Through all of my uh, writing coaching, Um, I've worked with a lot of women who are writing memoir pieces, who are writing um, stories about a transition. This is like often something that will bring someone to writing. Something major goes on in their life, a divorce, a big epic change, an illness, something. And there's a journey, there's a transition. They've come through the other side. They want to write and share their story. And I can't tell you how many times the writers would be nervous about, you know, the eat, pray, love phenomenon. It's like there's already too many of these books out there. But like, do you really only want one? If you're interested in reading these stories, do you really just want one? I mean, because we can take this and this can apply to anything, right? I mean, like people who don't want to read it don't have to read it, first of all. But other people just love reading stories like this. And when I was... um you know, in the past couple of years, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, and there's just like certain kinds of autobiographies, memoirs, people talking about recovering. Um, I can't get enough of these stories. I find them very comforting. I want to hear more of them. I want to hear more of them because I'm exposing myself and showing my brain that recovery is possible. The more voices, the better. This is wonderful that there are so many women telling their stories. 
Do you have any idea? I have no idea. Do you have any idea how many romance novels have been written with basically the same formula, like just the Harlequin Company alone? Enormous. I have no idea how many titles, but they have very specific criteria of how that goes. And that's just one company and people gobble them up. They want the next book. This goes for any genre, right? Like crime dramas, coming of age stories, anything involving a castle at the end. We can pretty much map these things out. Oh my God, sports. <laughs> like what happens in a game of hockey? I can tell you, you have two teams. They skate back and forth. They try to shoot the puck in the net on the other side. At the end of the game, one of the teams will have more of those and they'll win. And then at the end of that, the news person will hold a microphone up to some sweaty hockey player and be like, what do you think happened? And they'll say, well, we really needed to score more. We really needed to, you know, stop more pucks coming in the net. Surprise, it's over. This has been going on for years. People love hockey. They want to watch it again and again and again. Right? Like, who cares? <laughs> we kind of know how it's going to end, but it's exciting. We want more of this. We want to see more teams. We want to see more people. We want to hear more stories. I mean, genres of music, right? This is really interesting to me because um, it just depends on if you're a fan or not. <laughs> like, does Metallica sound exactly the same as Slayer? Not if you're a fan. Is Lizzo basically the same as Missy Elliott? No, not if you're a fan. Does one just cancel the other out and you're like, well, we've got enough of that? No, right? They break so much joy to so many people. And why would you want to limit that? There's room, you know? And it's true. When you're not a fan and you hear, listen to like a whole bunch of one genre music, you can't tell the difference, you know? Like if you're really not a jazz fan and you hear jazz, you don't know who's playing the trumpet. You don't know anything about what's going on, but a real jazz fan will be able to pick up certain sounds and certain time periods. And this is exciting. There's lots of us. There's lots of room. I just feel like I could keep going on. <laughs> like, Do you only want one kind of cheese? Do you only want one kind of jam? One haircut? No. Okay. I think I've landed that point. <laughs> But here's the thing, though, listener, if we tried, if we tried to all be the same, to all write the same book, to all sing the same song, we couldn't. There would be differences. We cannot hide as well as we think we can. It's you just you can't give it up. You're special. I don't know what to tell you. So it matters that you show up and shine. You know, if you are a player in like nature's masterpiece of spring, don't be that stubborn little flower who refuses to open for nature's big performance piece of human life spring 2020. You cannot be replaced. Yes, there's lots of other flowers around. They are all needed. What if all the flowers refused? Could you imagine? They all kind of like burst out a little bit. I hope my shoulders are hunched. My hands are like little weird little paws in front of my <laughs> collarbones. Like what if they just kind of curled up like little green things and then they were like, oh, forget it. There's too many other flowers out here. I'm just not going to bother. No one's going to miss me. What if they all did that? And then on the other side, what if they all did their absolute best, opened as gorgeously, as shamelessly as possible, and they all stood together? 
the sight of that, that is the difference that I'm talking about. You have a part to play in this life. You do. What happens to you when you're operating with competitive mind? How does your body feel? I want you to like close your eyes and just think about it for a minute. When you see someone who's like, mm, they're doing some same, same kind of art you're doing. They've got a similar kind of blog or a similar kind of business. You know, oh my God, that whole who wore it better. I mean, who cares? <laughs> Great. <laughs> if I was the designer, I'd be freaking thrilled that more than one person wanted to wear my outfit. But anyways, so like what happens to your body? Is it contracting? You know, does it, there might be adrenaline. There might be fear and shutdown, but there also might be some adrenaline, right? Competition kind of kind of gets exciting <laughs> for some people more than others. But I want to tell you that if you're that kind of person where competition really fuels you, competition against other people. It's not the only game in town for energy surges. It's not. If you're looking for that surge of energy, it's not the, you may get very well get it there, but also the thrill of creating from a different place, from competing against your own self, like beating your personal best, seeing how much more, seeing how you can push those envelopes. That is exciting. Consider how having a competitive mindset might stop you from enjoying your life a little more. Like if you're really upset about showing up with the same outfit as somebody and, you know, you go to a dinner party and there's some other person wearing the same snakeskin jacket that you wore, <laughs> synthetic snakeskin jacket that you wore, like that would cut you off. If you got like, oh, I'm so irritated. And then you'd be darting your eyes over checking out, like, do they look better than I do? Am I wearing it okay? Uh, where do they get theirs? How long have they had it? Whatever. Your mind might be completely distracted from a wonderful conversation that's happening at dinner. Also, there's someone there who has similar taste to you. You might have a friendship. You might have a creative partner that you like have a lot in common with. Who knows what's possible if you're connecting with this person, but if it shuts you down and you're feeling competitive and defensive, you're limiting those opportunities. You're limiting those possibilities. Does having a competitive mindset, does it stop you from starting projects because someone else has done it already? Does it stop you from exploring because yours might not be as good as somebody else's? If you're focused on the imagined opinions of other people, you might never get started. You might never see what you're capable of. Those little flowers that are all hunched over refusing to open because why bother? They don't even know what color the bloom is. You don't even know. You could just stop playing altogether. I enjoy some friendly competition. Uh, I'm not a, am I a competitive person? I think that's a, <laughs> there's more to unpack. I play board games. I get excited. I like the back and forth. I get, I get the fun in that. And I want to invite you into um, like when it serves you, that's great. When I'm playing a board game, we've all decided that's what we're doing. I don't want to be competing all the time with my family, with my friends, with my loved ones. Because it would slow me way down. You'd be too busy looking over your shoulder 
and like calculating and thinking and you wouldn't be in your body listening to your impulses, feeling playful, trying new things. We all lose when we're in that creative mindset. Let's say that we were going to build sandcastles together and it was like sandcastle contest and, you know, there's prizes for the biggest, there's prizes for, you know, whatever. You know, you could be, you know, building things, you look down the way, you see someone else's sandcastle, they're a little higher than yours, you start to panic, you fill the bucket, like there's this really different kind of energy if your goal is to beat the other people. And you might make something pretty cool and you might also innovate that way. And imagine that you had all the sand, all the stones, all the shells, all the whatever, and the whole day, and you can just create whatever you wanted. And you didn't have to worry about time, the whistle was going to blow. So you could take risks, you could be like, I don't know if this is going to work. But let's try this moat thing that I always love doing. And like, let's like see if we can collect all blue sea glass to build this whatever. But it's going to take time to collect the sea glass. If you're in a competition, you don't have time. This week, I invite you to notice when you're in competitive mind. I can tell when I've gone to competitive mind, I'm comparing myself to someone else. I'm seeing someone's success and not feeling happy about that. (laughs) I'm uh, comparing, I'm judging. uh, I feel disheartened, like, oh, there's no room, or I, I feel like giving up on a project or an idea that was exciting a moment ago. I just check in and be like, huh, are these thoughts coming from competitive mind or creative mind? And as soon as I identify one, I can flip to the other. It's like, oh, what would creative mind have to do? What would nature as artist do in this situation? Model yourself after nature. She doesn't care what like Jupiter's working on. Like someone gives word. It's like, hey, have you seen what Jupiter's up to over there? She's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of busy. I'm like rocking earth right now. I'm just, I'm doing my thing. (laughs) There is enough time. There's enough success for everyone. One of my favorite affirmations that I'll say um, when I see other people doing wonderful things. I've been practicing saying, every success I see is success available for me. If someone else is doing it, that means it's possible. Feel free to borrow that if you're looking for an affirmation. See yourself as part of a forest, right? Like it requires a lot of trees. If the trees were like, oh, I'm a tree, you're a tree, there's only room for one tree, we would not have forests. and a whole bunch of other things, right? Every single one is different. Every single one is magnificent. Everyone is important to the whole, to these bigger things that we're creating as human beings with one another. You have a right to be here. You are a creation and you are a creator. And we build confidence by doing. We build confidence in our own creativity by creating. I'm going to leave you with this fabulous quote from Maria Bamford. Maria Bamford is a comedian and this is from her latest stand-up special, Weakness is the Brand. 
She opens with this. If at any point during my program you feel disgusted, you think to yourself, why isn't comedy better than I remembered? Why isn't that particular premise less ill-conceived? Why isn't this experience exactly what I wanted? Please, let that rage trampoline you into working on your own stuff. Mic drop. Honestly, she opens with that and I'm like, that's, she could just stop there. (laughs) Gold. Absolutely. Don't start picking fights with random people on the internet. Start making what you want to make. Start living how you want to live. There is no competition. There is no other you. Do you and see what happens. Thank you so much for your time and your sweet attention. I love spending this time with you. Do you know that I take requests for podcast topics? You can always get in touch with me, Danette, at RadicalCreativeSanctuary.com. You can also follow me or DM me at Instagram. It's at Radical underscore Creative underscore Sanctuary. I love hearing from you. You are someone worth loving. It all starts with you. Take good care. Create. And I'll talk to you soon.